0: So we are in Romans 3, and we're stuck on one passage that we have been on for the last two weeks, and this is the third week we have been on this. Romans 3, verse 21. And if anybody needs a Bible, we have lots of Bibles up there. Um, I'm reading from the New Revised Scented Version. I may ask for other versions of you, although uh, there is a version I would like to read from also. This is probably the most worked-over text in Romans. But now, apart from law, the righteousness of God has been disclosed and is attested by the law and the prophets. Since we have a lot of visitors today, and some who haven't been coming regularly, uh, I'm going to do a brief recap before I read this, because otherwise... Uh, I'll be backing up. Uh, It's my belief that Paul in Romans is trying to establish a righteousness or obedience, the obedience of trust, as opposed to obedience by law. And that uh, the word faith has been, I think, badly used to mean this assent or belief when in, when in Paul's writings, and I believe in the Old Testament as well, the crucial issue is trust and trustworthiness. And that the, in the Hebrew, the word for trust uh, is caused. So it can either mean faithfulness, trustworthiness, or it can mean trust. That trust is caused by the trustworthiness of a person. Faith is caused by someone's faithfulness. And that's... I think the root belief in uh, even Judaism to this day, if you listen to uh, Professor Rabbi Lord Jonathan Sachs, I had to get all those titles (laughs) lined up there, uh, he is a conservative rabbi Mm -hmm. in uh, England, a professor at Cambridge University, and he does a whole lecture on trust and trustworthiness as, as an economic requirement. Uh, He tears apart Adam Smith's foundational uh, self-interest belief and um, talks about how the chief ingredient for having good business relations is establishment of trust and and becoming a trustworthy person. I show that to my students uh, in various classes. Because I think it's important, and and he draws that from the Hebrew Bible. He says that the word for that the concept of covenant is a trust bond of trust. Mm-hmm. It is not a legal document, mm-hmm. and you can contrast the covenant with the treaties of the ancient Near East and know that they're not uh, a legal document, especially not so much the Sinai covenant, but the Abrahamic covenant, which is where Paul goes, of course. Uh, as we'll find out as we move through Romans. So, one of the impediments uh, in this whole thing is our judgmentalness. Uh, self-righteous people judge others. It's, it's just a given. If I think I'm better than you, I'm going to judge you. Paul gets to that. And he, along the way, he covers something that is also an impediment to trust in God, and that is his wrath. And so in Romans one eighteen, uh and to the end of the chapter... He deals both with wrath and judgmentalism. Uh, Wrath is giving people up to the consequences of their choice. We are all guilty. Therefore, who are we to judge another person? And Paul makes that very, very clear. Uh, So, it's against this backdrop that then we have the question, well, if, if what God wants is our trust and he builds it on his trustworthiness, then what about the law? So, Let's start now with verse 21, and I think I can cover the rest of what I was going to say uh, as we go. Paul says, "But now, apart from law, the righteousness of God has been disclosed." Uh, a lot of ink has been spent on the word righteousness in Paul. Is it legal righteousness? Uh, you know, justification. Is it justice? legal justice or is it moral righteousness Mm. and uh, the righteousness of God is apart from law which means Paul is saying it's not legal it's not in the legal arena and when he says apart from law he doesn't mean the Ten Commandments he means law and its principal use law as a model law as a uh, a system Mm. Apart from law. Because if he meant the Ten Commandments, he would say A- apart from the law instead of apart from law.
1: You know, I love, I love what you're saying here because we know the, the way the world works. <coughs> the, the, the trust has to precede commitment. And the commitment has to precede compliance. And really compliance in its best form isn't really compliance, but action. Like living what we're committed to, you know, because we believe in it, because we trust it, you know what I mean? And, and of course, all these things put together create great results, you know, whether it's in a business setting or in a church or in a family, but it all starts with trust, all of it.
0: Yeah, and and it seems like we're very slow to learn that, isn't it?
1: -hmm,
0: mm -hmm. Uh, Right now, we have a document before us that is supposed to be a modification of another document that has five statements that we're supposed to sign as an allegiance to. And I'm talking about religion faculty here. And it's a, the second document is an improvement over the first. I'm It's a North American division improvement over the General Conference <laughs> <laughs> original. But uh, I, you think about that. Does getting a person to sign under compulsion of losing their job, mm-hmm. if they don't, uh, really adequate? Is it really going to make us toe of the line and, and we're going to teach the right important things and it's only important that we teach the right important things it isn't important that we believe them with all our hearts.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, it, it, To me, a legal kind of righteousness is a fraud.
2: Mm,
0: you're right. And, uh, and of course, my background to this is that I've studied ancient Babylonia, which is where Ancient Mesopotamia is where economics, uh, hierarchy, and law began. Uh, Though the Babylonians didn't have a word for law. But legal systems began in Mesopotamia. And what I have discovered in comparing and contrasting Mesopotamia with the Bible, uh, what I've come to conclude is that Mesopotamians invented a whole... Alter reality to the one God created. God created a garden of grace. I'm going to broaden the term grace here. God invented, uh, created the garden of grace. And the garden of grace, everything was free. We didn't have to earn our light bill. We didn't have to earn our food. We didn't have to pay for garbage. We didn't have... We didn't have anything we had to earn or buy in the Garden of Eden. We didn't have to earn God's favor. We were created in His favor. And then we fell out of favor. We fell out of grace. We tried to do it our own way.
3: Gene, uh, uh, I, I use it much more in the context of dealing with couples and stuff, but if you don't have intimacy you don't have trust you don't have that stuff well, what we always substitute I think about the Babylonian you always substitute structure and control is trust and intimacy the most powerful restraint love is the most restraint for behavior yeah but if you don't have that then they got to have multitudes of laws which is structure and control
0: that is exactly Good what point. the Babylonians found out you know they didn't have and their gods were gods to be feared.
3: Yeah, they were, yeah. More they, of, more
0: they than were full of wrath right. they had to be appeased they had to be kept placated because their gods were like their kings so mm-hmm. you just look at Sennacherib and you can kind of see what their gods were like
2: so is trust then and the systems of trust that we have between one another are those necessarily disorderly no, or the opposite of the controlled environments that we
0: use to oppose them. Where does trust originate? What gives us the ability to trust? It's safe. It's safe. Oh, that's, I love that because that's the Hebrew word, one of the Hebrew words for trust is used most often in the Psalms. Is literally means to feel safe. safe. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. What is it? Batach. B-A-T-A?
0: B-A... B-a-t-a. Transliterated. Do you know the Hebrew alphabet? We learned it, but... Okay, <laughs> uh, bait, uh-huh. tet, be a uh, bait. Yeah. Of course, that vowel, mm-hmm. uh, the vowel, the comments, right, right. and then um, tet. Mm-hmm. Another uh, would be pothock, pa, um, mm-hmm. and then cat, okay. tet cat, mm-hmm. bait okay. cat, bait tet cat.
3: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Malcolm, Malcolm used to always drill into us in, in theology. He he liked the word "have confidence in God." You know, you have trust. You have this confidence.
0: So trust then comes from within, right? Mm -hmm. It is true. It is externally engendered, but it's engendered through creation. God's creation didn't stop when He created us. God continues to create and recreate in us. Mm. Creation never stops. Completely, it's like when you have a child. Mom has the baby, and you say, "That's it. We're done," right? <laughs> no, you've just begun. <laughs> the way that the, who that child becomes is your creation, in a sense. Your creation never stops.
3: Gene, if that child doesn't get tremendous nurturing, cuddling, and holding, and and safeness. Uh, that's the main area that I study, is interrupted attachment. Mm-hmm. It's the basis of 15 psychological disorders. Wow. I can it believe it. It is the most foundational thing that they can't trust. It, it's, it creates anxiety, creates dissonance. their right frontal lobes don't mm-hmm. get developed so they can do intimacy. It doesn't release the dopamine to finish finish those synapses. I mean, it's, just, it's crazy. We were made
0: we were made to the, to do that. We were made for trust. We were made for love. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, studies <coughs> show that infants who are not adequately loved, I mean, they may be diapered, fed, uh, bathed, clothed, <coughs> all of the things that they need, but if they are not loved, they die. Yeah, sure mm-hmm. and Yes. That, yeah. Yep. Um, and in fact, I know of a story uh, that I share with my students in class that a a lady in the Eastern Block, an Adventist woman, owned an orphanage. And her babies were dying. Mm. And she, didn't, she couldn't figure out. She watched the nurses, see if they were doing everything they should. And they were feeding them, diapering them, bathing them, clothing them, uh, and taking care of all their fundamental needs. So she went to God. She said, God, my da- babies are dying, and I don't know why. Please show me. And God immediately responded with an impression. Do your nurses love your babies? Wow. Do they cuddle them? Do they play with them? Mm-hmm. Do they rock them? No. And so she started watching. No, they didn't. They didn't do any of that. And of course, mm-hmm. you understand, this has been in the, <clears throat> in the wake <throat> of Kosovo and, and mm-hmm. all of that turbulence over there. So she gathered her nurses together and she said, from now on it's not enough to give bottles and baths and and all the rest. You've got to do these other things. And she elaborated. Her mortality rate dropped dramatically.
2: And so going back to sort of my original question, trust in that light is in a sense disorderly. And because of that disorderliness, it allows room For real intimacy,
0: if you if by orderliness you mean rigid structure,
2: yeah, that's what I'm referring to. Well, because you think about the things that are required to raise a child, Mm. and just the bare necessities, (laughs) and it's like, okay, you've got the bottle, good, you know, check, and you've got your crib, check, but those things are so cold and feelingless. And if you take the time instead to maybe forget the crib and hold your child, yes, there's a little bit less structure, but there is so much more meaning and,
0: and You know, You know, it's our highly industrial society, mm-hmm. uh, our highly technological society, that and, and high cold rationalism as opposed to bo- using both frontal lobes. Together, mm-hmm. it, it is that that has led us to this uh, situation that we're in, and this is this is what actually produced Nazi Germany. Really, is uh, I have a book at home. I have a dark side. I have books on the Holocaust, uh, <laughs> but I have a book at home on um, called Albert Speer, his battle with
1: truth. Mm-hmm.
0: And have you read that?
1: Well, I'm familiar with Speer's kind Speer. Speer, he's the, the architect. World, not,
0: he, Nazi, yeah. he, was, he was the architect in Hitler's cabinet. Mm-hmm. A, a, a journalist went after him because he never got, he got tried in the Nuremberg trials, but mm-hmm. he never got found guilty. He always denied that he knew anything about this.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And the journalist was determined to prove him wrong. I mean, to, prove, to, to get him to admit that he knew something about it. So she went after him and she spent hours. She got him this close to admitting it. And then he backed away and wouldn't. But she probed his family. What was it like growing up in Nazi, pre Nazi Germany? Well, children were seen and not heard.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: And it was, there was coldness. There was, you know, you were an object and you just had to comply and, and there were no questions asked and no dialogue. Mm-hmm. And parents ignored you. Mm. And it was a very cold, harsh, Society.
2: Mm.
0: It is out of that society, Nazi Germany was born. Yeah. Well,
2: mm-hmm. cool. and yeah, that's like a perfect example of sheer obedience without trust. As mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Obedience should be based in trust. Exactly.
1: Right. So it's interesting you talk about that because these three, the very first concept we went over about in our leadership class, the first night of class was trust. As the foundation for, for team building, and of course, you know, we got to realize that that it, it, it's something that's earned. It, it, it can't be bought. Exactly, it's earned, and, right. and 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 it's earned. There's a different touch point for different people because we're all unique. Right. I'll share with you for and forgive me for using this analogy, but it's one that brings close to me. My two dogs. I had I, um, I had I had a dog named Emmy, who was the living embodiment of a Galatians five twenty two twenty three. She was. Had all the spiritual fruits. All of them. And she was tragically taken from us when she was five and a half. And then we got Silver a couple weeks later after she died. And Silver was very damaged. Silver didn't trust anybody. And it was heartbreaking to me because I had all this love for her. But I had to earn her trust. And it took months to earn her trust. And she was blossoming into a really wonderful dog. But I had to allow her to heal so I had to learn. I had to learn to engage. And then, like, God, think about God has so much patience with us. Like, this it is like, it's like, it's like, like, you know, there in Peter, you know, for the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, a thousand years is like a day. It's not because He's slow, but because He's patient with you. He's going to stay there knocking if you're just receptive, and He'll stick with you and until you open the door. And, you know, because He wants all of us to repent and, and to be with Him. All of us. The ones of us aren't going to be there, it's because we don't want to be there. It's not because He wants to give thanks. <laughs> So, um, but yeah, the, the trust. Tr- you know, I think like authority flows bottom up, not top down. You know, and so and, and how we gain authority is is by people trusting. And the, us. and the
0: ultimate authority that undergirds it all is our individual authority, mm-hmm. uh, the authority of truth and love. Mm-hmm. If we embrace that authority internally and internalize it, then, then we all the other stuff can take place. I, I talk about authority in Introduction to Christian Ethics, uh, and there's there're three three basic models of authoritarianism, law and order, and consensual governance. And I add a fourth one: internal governance, mm-hmm. self-governing ability.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: And I go over them, what they mean. We talk about examples for each one. And then I asked them, okay, so what is God's authority? Which one of these would you pick? And I was shocked. Normally they'll pick law and order, maybe authoritarianism if they're thinking Old Testament. Um, This class picked consensual governance and internal governance. Mm. In fact, I think they picked internal governance first and then consensual governance. So we talked a little bit about the Old Testament just to help them get perspective where God has gone but basically that is God's government and I read them the statement in uh, Desire of Ages 759 that uh, compelling powers found only under God's government compelling powers found only under Satan's government the Lord's authority is not based on these principles his authority is based on mercy love and goodness and the presentation, not the enforcement, but the presentation of these principles is a means to be used. God's government is moral, and truth and love are to be the prevailing power.
3: Uh, kind of the difference between the authority and power that you develop, like Mother Teresa has incredible authority, you know. Mm-hmm. Because of who she was, where she is, yeah. you know, and uh, she could say almost anything, <laughs> you know, and, and even like you like, talking about Dr. Billy Graham, you were hearing all the things since she just passed and if someone has that authority in their
1: life because of their, not because of their power. Like it's, <laughs> it's referent power, <laughs> yeah. you know, like b- based on character, you know, born out of character, or authentic yeah. leadership. Right, authentic leadership. Like <laughs> servant
3: leadership. Is it's kind of so like
1: servant hard. leadership, but like there's another concept that's probably even more compelling you know, uh, related to this, like authentic leadership. where People fo- follow you because they can see the genuineness of your character there and the, and the consistency. You know, and it, and it's not born out of charisma, but born out of consistency and, 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 and integrity. integrity. And, and so, what, what what I love about this is like anyone can be an authentic leader. You don't have to be charismatic. A lot of times, when no, we think right. about transformational leaders, we think of like people that are very charismatic and give great speeches, like a Billy Graham or somebody yeah, like that. Yeah. But no, it can be like. The person who every day comes to work with their pail and does what's expected and then some, over over time, that's somebody we are drawn to or want to follow. So well, mm-hmm. someone we admire, right? they right. there you go, yeah.
3: They earn the respect, yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: Well, like I told the kids kids one night in class about about you know um, one of the most inspirational leadership characters for me was a, a, a checkout person at Lowe's that had a disability, and I'd go in there to get my leadership fix on. I watched this guy who should have been at home collecting Well, should, the society would say he should be at home collecting disability. And he was there working. And I go through the line and cry. Like when I think about how hard this guy had it and how wonderful he was and how I wish I was more like him. So that, in that respect, he was, he was a leader. He, he's still a leadership figure to me because he inspired me to do more. Yeah. You
0: know. Well, you think of, of the religious authorities in Jesus' day had tremendous structure and order and control and power. (laughs) And here comes Jesus and he spoke as one with authority, not like the scribes and Pharisees. What? That that, that text used to baffle me. I was like, Jesus spoke with authority not like the scribes? I thought the scribes and Pharisees were very authoritarian. Well, yeah, they were. But Jesus spoke with real authority. What's the
3: root of the word for authority in
0: Excuse. us. what is it? Excuse. It's our it's the actual word for excuse. I don't know that it means that in Greek, but that's where we get the word excuse. I believe. Okay. Okay. Maybe I'm wrong, maybe it has a Latin it's a Latin derivative, but it it means the, it means authority as you have a basis for the authority. Uh, it's rooted in a base. Well, um,
1: yeah, very good see you if we the can thing get through this
0: passage <laughs>
1: this is the third time I've heard you go over it and God bless you but I'm learning something new every time <laughs> it's exciting so thank you sure. <laughs>
0: but now apart from law apart from the legal construct the righteousness of God has been disclosed and is attested by the law now he's talking the law and the prophets he's talking about the scriptures because that's what this, the Old Testament was called the law and the prophets the righteousness of God through faith, through trust in Jesus Christ or through the faith of Jesus Christ, through through his trustworthiness, through the faithfulness
2: mm-hmm. of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm.
0: I believe that more and more scholars are going that way. and mm. I believe N.T. Wright <coughs> possibly gets one of them. So the righteousness of God is is through the trustworthiness in, of Jesus Christ for all who trust. Again, this is this trustworthiness that leads to trust. Paul talks about in chapter 1. For there is no distinction, since all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, they are now justified or set right by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Whom God put forward as a sacrifice of atonement. This is the mercy seat now. This is the the mm-hmm. the, uh, the cover of the ark. Whom God put forward as a means of, I would like to say, reconciliation, understanding that it's not God who's being reconciled to us, but we being reconciled to God.
2: Mm.
0: Whom God put forward as a sacrifice of atonement by his blood or in his blood, effective through trust. Blood means nothing if it doesn't evoke trust. And so I, I said I was going to bring a statement on the blood. I'm going to have to remember to do I think I'll have to put a note to myself to get that printed out for everybody.
1: You know, it's interesting when you were talking at the beginning about how This is Abrahamic in nature, not, not mm-hmm. Sinai. You know, the Abrahamic covenant, covenant that's Judaism, Islam, and Christianity... And Bahai, too, for that matter, it's more universal. You know what I mean? It, mm-hmm. it, it, I mean, it, it's, it's. And then when you say God, well, it, there's no distinction,
0: right? And that's Paul's contention. Right. The Gentiles can come; mm-hmm. they don't have to be circumcised <clears throat> because the original covenant was won by trust, uh-huh. and as long as they trust in God, they're in.
1: Mm-hmm. Wow, beautiful. Wow. Mm-hmm.
0: So he put it. This is by his blood or in his blood. As a res- effective through faith. It brings about trust. It was the shed blood of Jesus that was to bring about trust. and That means that the blood of Jesus is demonstrating something outside itself. It demonstrates the truth about God. He did this to show his righteousness. This is, a de- this is now a demonstrative word. To show in the Greek is phonero, which is, means to, to show, almost to demonstrate. He did this to show his righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over the sins previously committed. Let's work on that a little bit some more. I want to see what Goodspeed has for that. But now God's way of uprightness has been disclosed without any reference to law, though the law and the prophets bear witness to it. It is God's way of uprightness, and it comes through having faith in Jesus Christ. It is for all who have faith without distinction. For all men sin and come short of the glory of God. But by his mercy they are made upright for nothing by deliverance secured through Jesus Christ. For God showed him publicly dying as a sacrifice of reconciliation to be taken advantage of through faith. This was to vindicate his own justice. For in his barbarance God passed over for men's men's former sins. This would still be righteousness. To vindicate his uprightness at the present time and show that he is upright himself this emphasis is clearly that God is called into question because it looks as though sin does not lead to death that is the ultimate death he seems to have passed over former sins he doesn't deal with people get away with murder quite literally and God doesn't step in and and control And and so how can he be a righteous God how can he uh, remember righteousness through the eyes of Philo who, where it's it's doing the right thing in court, it's doing the right thing in what you do with those who, who are wicked and those who are righteous. It includes both. Um, so this is, I see this as a broader righteousness than just a legal one, but Paul is dealing with this question, how can God be righteous and not deal with these sinners? Well, we're all sinners. What about that? And he dealt with his righteousness in his blood. I'll just give you the gist of that handout, I promised you. If you do a study of the blood, there's a shortcut way of dealing with it. The shortcut way is that the life is in the blood, according to Leviticus 17.11. And the blood is the life. Whose life? Whose life did the blood represent, sacrificially? Mm -hmm. Jesus' Jesus' blood and what is Jesus' life so the blood is the life Jesus' life
2: Mm.
0: and the life in John 1 And John 1 is full of sacrificial imagery Mm
2: -hmm.
0: John 1 the life is the light of Mm. of men so it is the truth about God so what truth did the blood of Jesus reveal about God Well, the Gospels don't talk about the blood from the nails and the blood from the crown of thorns uh, at all. The only blood that counts is the blood Jesus shed in Gethsemane and the thrust spear in his side that brought up water and blood. The blood Jesus sweat in Gethsemane, there is a medical term for it, hematidrosis. It's bleeding le- bleeding that happens the, from the brain through the pores of the skin. And it is due to extreme mental anguish. Mm. I had a student with that condition many mm. years ago. Oh,
1: my.
0: He took uh, doctrinal studies for me. I had no idea about this, but he came to me and he said, you know, what you've been talking about, Jesus' death, I really resonate with because I have this condition. And he says, I have to take antipsychotic medication because it's physiological with me but because the physiology of my brain makes me depressed, so depressed that I bleed um, I have to take this antipsychotic medication and -hmm. he could hardly get out of bed because of it (coughs) because he was so drugged to try to control this he said, may I do my paper on this Mm -hmm. and I let him some very moving paper Mm -hmm. to read Mm -hmm. what that blood signifies is that Jesus didn't die from an angry God, punishing him, killing him. He died from mental anguish as a result of sin. The spear thrust in the side represents the same thing. And if you go to another typological element, uh, when Abraham raises the knife over Isaac, the angel says, Stop. Do not lay your hand. Father, do not lay your hand on your son. Do not do anything to him. That is the keynote of the atonement. Father will not lay his hand on his son. The father will not do anything to him. And then you have a substitute. A substitute is the revelation that the sinner then, Abraham, offers the ram not as the father of the ram. I have I have asked my students. I asked my st- I asked a class one time, was Abraham the father of the ram? Because I was taking them through the story, and the class, one a, a young woman sitting in the back of the class nodded her head and said, "Yeah, yeah, he was the father of the ram." <laughs> and I managed not to burst out laughing, but uh, <laughs> I said, "Biologically, that's not quite possible," <laughs> uh, but. The sinner, Abraham is now the sinner, the suppliant, bringing the offering of the ram. Showing that it is my sin that killed this this animal. And that's what the sacrificial system was supposed to depict. It was supposed to depict that my sins are going to take the life of an innocent being, Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so, what I see at the foot of the cross from his blood is not an angry God who has to be appeased by blood but we who are hostile have to be one to trust Mm -hmm. by blood. Mm -hmm.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: That's the reconciliation. When Paul uses the word reconciliation katalage he never uses it for God. He always uses it for us. We are the ones being
1: reconciled. Isn't a shame that that's not the we we hear the fire and brimstone story, or the like, um, you know, mansion in heaven story, and not that one, because that one's far more compelling to me. That one there, that's all the reward I need.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: If I get to heaven, that's just bonus. I mean, because I can't earn it anyway. God, God did it. But that's something I would I would die for or live for. It's that well, that, that
0: is that is the crux of what won me to yeah. trust. Is sure, a God sure. who would go to that length to right, win right. me back. Is uh-huh. a God who would never hurt me. Mm. Right. I'm yeah. safe.
3: Right. Uh-huh. Right. Absolutely. We mm-hmm. I I have an example of the greatest <clears throat> sin of separation. The thing that the most basic or thing that kills of sin is that eternal separation realization of the, you know that you are separated and the pain of that
0: and and the pain you think about our separation sometimes is a relief
2: mm-hmm.
0: i got away from that person <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but with jesus who was wow. utterly wow. intimate with the father so that uh, you could not distinguish sorry. between them They blended together. It's like the—I don't know if you've seen this on Facebook, but there was a posting this week of a a statue created by engineers. I can't remember where, but it's 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 in some south southern state. There's these two statues that are made of unique material. I couldn't tell what they were made of, and they're they're facing each other like a, a, a woman and a man would face each other. Mm-hmm. and as they begin to be intimate mm-hmm. and those two statues at a certain t- hour of the day merge mm-hmm. into
2: one
1: yeah,
0: yeah. yeah it's, it's on an incredible
2: it looks like two metallic structures that just yeah. bond together
0: they just they just slowly mm-hmm. come t- completely together and it, for a while you see two and then you begin to see one mm-hmm. and finally you see just one mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's that's how Jesus, how bonded and how intimate Jesus was with the Father. Can you imagine splitting that apart? Mm-hmm. Can you imagine the agony of the Father and the Son? I honestly don't think Jesus suffered any more than the Father. Mm-hmm.
3: I so mm-hmm.
0: uh, and when I think of that, I think of something I shared with my God and Human Suffering class this week. Uh, it was... Um, <clears throat> Larry Kavanagh's sermon in 1993, shortly after his son, Tad, died of Niemann-Pick disease. It was here at the PUC church. I remember walking out, looking around, and, and noticing how everybody looked like we'd been at a funeral. It was just so emotionally impacting. Larry had a really bad night with his son, Tad, because Tad was at the point where his tongue would block his airway passages. And so mm-hmm. uh, they would have to get up periodically in the night and give him a, to- a tongue lift, a chin lift, to get his tongue to pop out, and, and then he could breathe. And so he had been up again and again, and every time he would just kneel beside the son's bed and just beg God to heal him or, or lay him to rest. But, but please do something. Don't just stand there with your hands in your pockets. and. By morning, he was just spent. And so he went to work and he started in on God after he got into his office and he was pacing the floor and pounding his fist and yelling at God. And then he began to realize, you know, on one hand, it's Elder Roderick and on the other hand is Elder Schneider. And they're going to be wondering who I'm chewing out in here. And And so he called the Secretary and he said, I've got to go for a drive. And he walked out, not letting anyone intercept him, got in his car and just kept at God, pounding the wheel. And finally, he just ran out of tears. He couldn't cry anymore. He said, it was like God opened the door and came into the car and sat with him. He said, I know how you feel, Larry. I know what it's like to lose your son. I know what it's like to lose my son. And when I lost my son, I blackened the heavens. I sent the thunder and the lightning. I ripped the veil in the temple. He said it hurt to lose my son. Until I heard Larry tell that, I never understood those signs in that oh, way. Yeah.
1: Because wow. yeah. Yeah. And we, and, we don't hear the whole story. We still want to see God as the bad guy in all this and you know, Jesus as the good guy. Yeah. But they're both the good guys. Right.
0: We're the bad guys. Right, exactly. <laughs> our, our not wanting to own our own culpability, isn't
2: mm-hmm. it? Mm-hmm.
0: But, but understanding now how this rent the heart of God. And yet, I believe that what showed that He can set us right is that my understanding is that the armies of heaven and the armies of hell were there at the foot of the cross. And that God the Father for the first time since Satan was sent out of heaven God the Father is looking at the, his arch enemy the one who caused all this pain mm-hmm. in the eyes. And how did he look at him? I believe we have a model for how he looked at him by how Jesus looked at Judas. He looked at him with pity mm-hmm. and it sent Judas to suicide because he wouldn't he wouldn't let his heart soften from the love of Christ. And I think at that moment it was made very, very clear that God is the forgiver, that he always has been, and he never will stop being the forgiver. And therefore, he has won the right to forgive us. He can justify us. He can set us right. So uh, that's my take on this passage. I think we can now move on.
1: After three weeks on <laughs> it. good three weeks. It's
0: good. Wow. Good
3: stuff.
0: All right, let's have a prayer. Gracious God we could never ever reveal you the way you have revealed yourself we are at a loss for words when we stand at the foot of the cross and see you as you really are and see satan unmasked thank you for all that you have done for the lengths to which you have gone to win us back to trust and thank you that it is trust you want because that is what we want most to give